Why does this podcast exist? The whole purpose is to help you build a business and make money doing something that you love. This is the entrepreneurial education that my business partner Simon and I wish we'd had when we started our business. And we want to help you get going, make money, live your passion and have fun. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Question one, who is Alan and why is he doing a podcast? Well, look, today I'm a financially independent business owner. I'm in the fortunate position where I can work because I want to, not because I have to. I travel the world helping people build businesses. I do videos online, podcasts, I write movies, and I eat pizza when I get a chance. But look, it wasn't always that way. When I was younger, my dad put our family into debt, and I had to spend 15 years plus battling to keep the family home with my mum. We didn't have enough money to buy food, and we had to go out and do car boot sales or trunk sales, if you're American, to get enough money just to buy food. As I was going through corporate life, I struggled massively until eventually I got fired. I was so shy I couldn't cold call. Building my own business was incredibly painful and at times I was left crying beside the roadside because I couldn't do it. And this podcast is to share with you the secrets, the ideas, the tools and strategies that have got me from there to where I am today and I want to give it away all for free. So that's who I am, and that's why we're doing this. And the podcast is built around the pop-up business school principles. But you might be thinking, what the hell is the pop-up business school? Well, last year, pop-up business school traveled around the world. We helped over two and a half thousand people to build businesses and make money doing what they love. And Simon and I built the pop-up business school to be the entrepreneurial education we always wanted for other people. It's a company that helps people make money doing what they love. Now, how it works is Simon and I and the team go out and get sponsorship for the courses. And then we put on the courses in different locations around the world and we give it away for free to the local communities that need it the most. So we've run events in Bridgend in Wales. We ran them in Bolton in Northern England, in Westminster in London, in Indianapolis in America, in New Zealand, in Namibia and all around the world. And every workshop we've ever run has been completely free. And that's the way it's going to remain. This podcast is an effort to take the principles, tools and techniques that we've proved work with the Pop-Up Business School and get them out to the rest of the world. Now, why should you care about what I'm saying? Well, the Pop-Up Business School has been sponsored by Microsoft, Westminster Council, Oxford University and countless other organisations around the world. And we are trusted to run workshops to help people get going. Now, no, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. The context is a little bit different based on location, but the startup strategies and methodologies, what we're going to teach, remain the same no matter where you are in the world. Now, what's coming up? Well, we've built this series, this season one, to give you all the different tools you need to get going. So episode one is five ways to build a business without debt, and it's all about the tools and techniques to get going. Episode three is a startup story from Katie and Andrew at Time Trap. They're an escape rooms business and they use these tools and techniques to get going. And my idea is this story highlights the use of the tools and strategies from episode two so that you know how to apply it. Episode four is another startup story with Sean Jenkins from Benefit Focus showing how he started and the barriers he overcame. Episode five is all about can you build a business from passion and including examples and how you can uncover your passion. And there is a mix of tools and strategies episodes like the five ways to build a business without debt, how to start with sales, all the marketing questions and everything you need to get going. 
mixed in between, there are the stories. So the real life examples of the people who have done this stuff that you can learn from. And then we also have a third type of episode, which is the coaching series, where I take a person from the event or over the over Skype, over the telephone, and I help them work through their biggest challenges and work out how to get going. The purpose of these episodes is that you can use the same coaching tools and techniques and questions that I use to unlock the people on the podcast to unlock yourself in real life. So that's what's coming up in the show. We've partnered with Choose FI, Choose Financial Independence, which is a podcast all about financial independence, to launch this. And I'm so excited to be doing it with Brad and Jonathan from Choose FI. What that enables me to do is to reach more people because they are experienced podcasters and they've been helping me get going. And building your own business, starting up and making money doing something you love is one of the pillars of financial independence. If you can increase your income, you can save more and get to financial independence quicker. So let's set the scene for episode one. Episode one is about the fear of starting up and it's a conversation Jonathan and I had whilst he came to the pop-up business school in Charleston, South Carolina, America. And we talk a lot about the reasons why people don't start up, what scares them and why the mindset why they should start up. Episode two is all about the tools and techniques for getting going without debt. If that really excites you, then skip to that episode. If not, then get involved. Tune in now and listen to Jonathan and I talk about what stops you starting up. One last thing you need to know, what is financial independence? Well, financial independence is a movement around the world of people who are saving and investing so that they can work for something they love without debt. And that comes up a few times in the episode today. I just wanted you to know what that is so that you know what to expect. So here, without any more, is Jonathan and I talking about the fear of starting up and what stops most people. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely thing. When you're starting off a business in your bedroom on your own, you have to make it all up yourself. You have to make it on your own. And it was tough when I did it. This podcast, The Rebel Entrepreneur, is inspired to share that journey with you so you don't have to go through the pain we've gone through and so that we can go on the journey together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. I've got with me Jonathan from Choose FI and this is the first episode of the first season. Welcome. Thank you, Alan. Excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it. I've actually wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I recorded one episode on my own. It was quite a painful process. It didn't go anywhere. Never really released it. And we stopped doing it because I didn't enjoy it. And then Ed, Jonathan, Brad, you said, why don't we do a podcast together? There's something there. Like, uh, yeah, uh, podcast is this amazing vehicle to bring people with you on a journey and do it in a, a living way. Like you're experience is going to be so valuable to the people that find this show, but at the same time, their experience and the pain points that they're experiencing become the lifeblood of the show. That's what we found at Choose FI. There's a superpower there for all parties involved. You create content that meets people where they are. And that's what I see. That's what pop-up is actually doing. And this is going to allow you to do that at significant scale. So the mission of pop-up business school is to change the way entrepreneurship is taught to help people build businesses doing something they love without debt and to get going quickly. And we've been doing that room by room, 50 people, 100 people at a time around the world. And suddenly the thought comes, how can we go further? How can we help more people? And think about that. Those people that started their journey, that impetus for that action was the pop-up school, right? It was the fact that over the course of that week or two weeks, they got their ideas out of their head, which ideas are a dime a dozen, but they executed on those and they took action. They made that first sale and then they iterated. And that's really the beginning of the journey, right? But there's so many fun inflection points along the way. So for you, for those people to then be able to pick up you know, where they left off and get your insight, not just over a one week or two week period, but all along the journey and have the content that you create directly support the vision that they bought into when they stepped into a pop-up business school. 
the impact is profound. And what we're looking at and what we're seeing, one of the reasons that pop-up is expanding in different places is incredibly successful entrepreneurs look back and realize that their choice to design a business allowed them to design a lifestyle. And now they're looking, how can I give back to the next generation? So people can have the benefits that as an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, I'm experiencing now, how can they have that as well? And so when you get this virtuous cycle of people taking action, realizing the benefits in their life, and then being able to reach back to the next generation is powerful. And I think it's what gets us so excited about this. It's what gets me pumped. It's what gets me out of bed. And the question is, why are we doing this? Why do we need another podcast on entrepreneurship? Do we even need another podcast on entrepreneurship? Oh, that's a, that's not rhetorical. <laughs> um, listen, I think what pop-up business school is doing and, and you by direct extension is flipping the business model on its head. And I don't know why it's 2020 and we're still talking about things with this very antiquated method, but it desperately need to be flipped on its head. The old model, I mean, tell me, what does the old model say? The old model says, write a business plan. First step, you go to a traditional advisor, write a business plan, make sure it has some colored charts, some details, some statistics. The purpose of a business plan is to take it to someone to show how much money you need to get going. And you need to find funding, which is a code word for debt. Code word debt. Yeah. <laughs> you borrow some money. You maybe get a loan from the bank. You get some venture money. You borrow some money off funds. You go into debt. Then you build the product, you build the service, you spend that money on the website, you spend it on launching the business. You need a logo, you obviously need business cards, it's 2020, you must print some stuff. And you spend two or three months getting ready to sell. Eventually you try and sell something and it may or may not work. But by that stage, you're heavily in debt. And that's the risk of the traditional business model. The traditional business model is based on it takes money to make money. Do you know where that statement comes from, Jonathan? I have no idea. It's actually written by a Roman poet, a Roman writer. He was writing a comedy and it was originally designed as a joke because it literally is a double stat. It takes money to make money. But somehow this Roman writer managed to get it to catch on. And now we believe it's true. Does it actually take money to make money? I think that is the entire premise of this show, to be able to explore that. And I think the proof of concept is you have demonstrated with literally thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs that if you're willing to replace venture capital with creativity, you can absolutely start a business without a massive business plan, without massive debt, without massive risk. But I think for people to believe it, that's the purpose of what you're creating with, with Rebel Entrepreneur. We need, there are those that can go out into the wilderness and be the vanguards, the trailblazers. But for the rest of us, we need to see the path has been trailblazed, that it's been marked. We need to know that we're following in the footsteps of other people that we can relate to. We can relate to their experience. And if it worked for them, if he can do that, if she can do that, I can do that. That's where I see this actually positioned. And I think that's what you've demoed over the last two years in any niche with any product, with any service, you can replace debt with creativity. And that's the reason it's called the rebel entrepreneur, because if you're going to do things differently, you've got to stand up and society will judge you. It'll say, what are you doing that for? Why are you doing this? And it will judge you. If you're going to be a rebel, you're going to do things differently. I would have loved the support when I started. I got judged by all sorts of people for doing things differently. And it was a painful journey, but it doesn't have to be a painful journey for the people listening to the podcast because you know you're not the only rebel out there. There's other people to work with you. So, Alan, you just described a, a scenario in which you're, you're de-risking the process of starting a business, right? And it's fine for us to say it, but I'm sure... That's not enough. For someone listening to this has been on the fence, you and me telling someone that it doesn't have to be risky doesn't take the fear away. So I think let's talk about let's talk about the fear. What is what keeps people from starting a business? Well, that's actually the question we've been asking for a little over eight years now, traveling around the world. We've run courses in France, New Zealand, Namibia, the United States of America. Everywhere we go, we ask the question, what stops you from starting up? And it normally comes down to three main things. Cash based on the belief it takes money to make money. I need to get the money first. Confidence, 
which the reverse of confidence is fear. They're lacking confidence. They're afraid of the risks. And actually, we found those two are quite closely tied. Because if you're borrowing a lot of money to start up, you had better be really confident that your business is going to be successful. And then finally, what do I actually do? Because if you come from employment, you've had a boss and they tell you what to do. And it changes when you have to make it up. And that, that's equally the most exciting thing about entrepreneurship is that you get to decide what to do each day and the scariest because you have to wake up in the morning and create this out of nothing every day. And for someone who's used to going to work, following the rules, that can be a challenging thing. That can be such a challenging thing. And actually, that was one of the things I was most interested in speaking to you today about was how did you go from being an employee to being an entrepreneur? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Like, how did you make that transition? What happened? Yeah, it was actually the opposite. I knew beyond a shadow of doubt that I was not an entrepreneur, that I would never be an entrepreneur. I'm not, I, I, I'm using these words. I please see the, like the quotes around it, the, the absolute belief statements, the limiting beliefs, whatever you want to call it. I knew that small businesses fail all the time. And mine would be one of them. A high percentage never make it through the first one year, let alone three years. It's a great point. I want to come back to that. <laughs> Let's talk about that further. There's actually something there with hindsight that I understand a little bit better about that. Yeah, I knew that businesses fail. I visualized, I wouldn't create a, be able to create a lifestyle for myself. I would just create a, like a prison around myself. And I just, I was terrified. Like if, if it requires me to sell this, if it's all on me, then if it doesn't work, it's also all on me. So how much, it would be so easy just to get a safe job that pays a high income and it's so predictable. All I need to do is just go to school for four years and then for another four years for my doctor. So get two degrees because one's not enough. Make sure I get a professional <laughs> degree, take out six figures of student loan debt, and then it's all going to be okay. And then I'll have that six figure income. And and to be clear, that is what I did. And and it's interesting now with the, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm looking back and I'm like, how did I not question that as risky? Like six figures of student loan debt, but you just do it without question. Nobody pauses you on it to see like, of course, I would have wanted to do it because I was sure that this was the least risky path to making an entry-level six-figure salary. But it's like 12 years of my life that are wrapped up in that statement and six figures of student loan debt. That's risky. You're guaranteed, like you have to pay that money back. I don't know how I never considered, going back to this early, younger version of myself, that what if I gave myself 168K to build a business like, or to experiment ruthlessly with finding something? I guarantee you that if I had applied this, the eight years, if I gave myself eight years to build a business. And 168 grand. And 168 grand, which somehow I figured I was able to come up with a way to carve up to you know do, I could figure it out. I could learn the skills to do this. And going back to that statistic uh, that you know most businesses fail, and it actually is true, what I didn't appreciate about that is those business owners fail because the first iteration of their idea was crap, which is great. Like I, I thought failure was something to fear. An entrepreneur or business owner knows that that first idea is likely not going to work, but just because they were willing to get started, they are going to iterate that into something that does. And there's a saying out there, the master has failed more than the beginner has even tried, right? If you can just get excited about the idea of failing and failing forward and realize that it's not abject failure, if you can de-risk, if you can use the concepts that we just discussed and apply that to this scary idea of failure and say, whatever I fail at is almost guaranteed to leave me with more information than I had before and guide me towards something that could actually work. So many ideas that we could reference, and I'm sure you will reference, look different than the founder's initial vision, but it's because you got started and you iterated throughout to find something that actually worked. So going back to that standard life plan, and I talk about this all the time, you're taught to go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a degree, get a good job. And that's exactly what my mum wanted me to do. And it takes someone who wants to challenge the norms to be able to break away and do something like that. So when did you find your inner rebel Thank you. to be able to challenge the norms and go, actually, I don't want to follow this path that's laid out for me. How did that happen? Yeah. So this did happen. I'm glad you brought it back to that. And I'm still a coward. Like I, I would consider myself, <laughs> you've used this term, I'm a chicken entrepreneur, right? 
Whereas you're like a burn the boats, go out and do it. And if it fails, we'll pivot and do something else. Like you can tell the same guy that wants a safe path, that was it. So now I am practicing as a pharmacist. Uh, I have an entry level six figure salary. I also have $168,000 in student loan debt. So if you're making $120,000 a year, just do a little tax and math lesson here. You're coming home with probably about 70, 75. It's great post-tax income. If you're trying to pay down your student loan debts aggressively, then you're sending another half of what you make to pay them down. You're basically bringing home a salary that's after you've, you're servicing your debt. There's, there's not a ton left over. And so what I'm trying to say is $120,000 does not look like $120,000 after you service the debt that it took to get that. So I think it really is important to look at ROI in terms of these degrees. But with that in mind, I was paying down this debt. And as I started to see, I can, I can pay it off. And at the end of maybe five or so many years, I'm going to, it's going to be done. And then I'm going to have this income and it's what's next. And for me, it wasn't a business. I'm still a chicken entrepreneur. I wanted to create a scenario for myself where there was no way to lose, right? The only thing I would lose would be my time. It wouldn't. So what I did is I created my life where I already knew my numbers would work on default. My worst case scenario is that I just stay in my job and I grind it out. I grind it out for 10 or 15 years, but I'm not just capping myself there. Instead of looking for how I can pick up tons of overtime or tons of extra shifts or just go all in on that hand because I wasn't happy. I wasn't really enjoying it. If I were loving it, maybe that's where I would have stayed, but I wasn't loving it. I was tolerating it. The extra time that I had. Was that the spark? The I think tolerating it, was. I realized, it or was there something else that made you? Yeah, I think it was like, this can't be all there is. Like I've done everything. I follow the playbook. I have the degree. I have the job that I spent the last eight years pursuing and it's meh. <laughs> have you ever felt yeah you look at the next week and you're like i know what monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday is going to involve and it's it's meh yeah yeah we'll get through it so again talking about a no risk i like this idea well when i'm debt free what will i do how will i invest my money how will i do better how will i save the money you know create this space if you're paying off your debt quickly then you've already created some space, right? And I knew once the debt's gone, I still have that space. What am I going to do with it? What does it look like to effectively use that money? I decided to actually, there's a whole community around this called the financial independence community, talking about increasing your savings and then applying that, optimizing, looking at life through a lens of what does it look like to earn more, spend less, invest better, and through that process, reclaim decades of your life, right? And we can talk more about that, but through the lens of what we're talking about here, I was passionate about that idea. I was passionate about having the option to work. I looked at people that at work that were working, like they had been in the career 20, 30, 40 years. They looked like death froze over, hell froze over. <laughs> like, this is not what success looks like. My direct managers look miserable. My employees look miserable. My district managers look miserable. I was like, going up the corporate chain is not happiness. It's not success in this particular industry. So with my free time, it's not how can I get the next promotion and keep going up the chain? It's what does it look like to do how something How can I else? get out? How can I create a glide path out, right? I'm, I'm, I'm risk averse, incredibly risk averse. So I was like, well, you know what? Let's just try something. There's no risk to starting a podcast. My total investment to start the podcast was less than $300. All right. I started networking to find out other people that were interested in the space. That's actually how I found my co-host Brad was just kind of listening to other people that were either creating content or recording podcasts in the space. I found out that he was local and I need to find a real person. You need to make sure this is a real thing. Alan, that you're a real person. Like you're kind of larger than life, right? And I tell you, Alan, you're actually really relatable. You're really, on, on, when I hear you or I read your stuff, you're so larger than life. You're a real person. This is doable by real, real people all around the world are doing this. And I just found someone in my local area that was doing this. You're lucky you found someone locally. I had to fly all the way to Chautauqua to find people that had done it, to actually believe it was real and go all in. To find someone local is incredible. It's the power of the rebel entrepreneur. Like if we can increase awareness around this idea, if more people take this on, if you don't feel like you're in a vacuum doing this all alone, the fear goes away. You know, in really hardcore entrepreneur circles, the people that make the choice to go to college are derided as you're going to do what? Think about why that is. It's because everyone you know around you is doing this. So you're the oddball out. There's a great quote that I heard. It's from James Clear, wrote Atomic Habits. He said, Make sure the desired behavior that you have, whatever it is, is the norm for the group, the tribe that you choose to be a part of, because you will absolutely start incorporating those beliefs into your life. And if that works to your advantage, like it does with entrepreneurship, pick a rebel entrepreneur tribe, 
You know, find your tribe of people and find people in your area that are doing this. Let me tell you a little bit more about that meeting with Brad. If you give yeah, me a little how bit. did you find Brad? How did how did you end up starting a podcast together? Yeah, so I heard him on the uh, the Mad Scientist podcast, another podcast that talks about personal finance and financial independence. I found out he was in Richmond, and from there, I was like, I got I got to reach out to this guy. So I reached out to him on Facebook. Facebook is a pretty easy way to get connected with people. And for whatever reason, he agreed to get lunch with me. And I was just, you know, I'm just this, this enthusiasm of finding someone that's an entrepreneur, finding someone that's interested in personal finance, lives in my city, finding out what is it like to do this here, you know, that sort of thing, picking his brain. And I kind of told him, I had this idea, I want to create this podcast and website. You know, what do you think? And he's like, wow, I think there's really room for that. That'd be a great idea. And so we, we parted ways after that lunch and, um, that was it. I did nothing with it. You did nothing with it? Nothing. No follow-up? I didn't follow up. <laughs> I didn't get the website. I didn't start the podcast. I just, I don't know. It was like, it's so easy just to drift and be complacent and keep going. And so actually about three weeks went by. I wake up. It's Monday morning. I'm literally about to roll out of bed and go to work. Another day, another Monday. <laughs> oh, Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and I got this text message from Brad. We're not like friends at this point. We are internet acquaintances that I had had one lunch with. And he said, hey, man, I just want to follow up with you. I know we had that lunch. You had all these amazing ideas. Did you, did you take action on any of them? And I hadn't. I'd done nothing. Nothing. I had wasted his time. I'd gotten, we'd gone out to lunch. I had this great conversation. I peppered him with all these ideas. Nothing. I didn't reply to him. How do you reply to that? <laughs> How do you tell him? Not yet. I went to work. Like ideas burning in my mind. The accountability is just like draining me. I get home and I rush to the internet and like start Googling how to start a podcast, how to start a blog. Like a single point of accountability was the extra piece I needed to realize this is a real thing that real people are doing and someone cares. Someone cares that you actually take action on these ideas. And it didn't take long. I reserved, I, I kind of went through a branding exercise. I came up with the name Choose FI, Choose Financial Independence. The premise being your life is a series of nearly infinite choices, but those choices in aggregate will have this impact on, on everything. You know, they, 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 they add up. Choose wisely, right? So choose financial independence, choose options. So I had that idea. Once I had the idea, I reserved the domain name. I locked the website down. I quickly wrote up like a, a mantra and a kind of an idea for what I wanted this to be. And I messaged him back like the same day. All this happens in one day. I went from no action to one accountability message, eight hours of work, three hours of branding. Yes, I can't wait to show you everything that I've been working on. Let's meet up for lunch again. <laughs> when did he find out about this? Does he know? Maybe it's Chautauqua. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those embarrassing things. Like, we think it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. But at the same point, it's normal. It's very normal. We have ideas, but we're afraid to execute on them. If we can just get our ideas in front of somebody to just like bounce them around, it to some degree increases the likelihood that we execute on them. But it's that extra piece of someone holding you accountable to something that you're saying is important. You're saying it out loud. In our, in our internal monologues, we give ourselves permission to be lazy, to not act on it, to just settle or talk ourselves out by introducing all these fear points, right? So there was those elements for me that the accountability changed my life. So one of the things you mentioned, accountability and doing it with another person. Lots of people think entrepreneurship is a solo sport. You have to go out there, fight the good fight on your own, do it all on your own. Mm. And I did for so many years. Yeah. So many years. What are your views on this? Should should the listeners be fighting the fight on their own? Should they be finding partners? Should they be doing it together? Like, What would be your advice? This is a know thyself moment. You can absolutely do this as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur with no one else. You totally can. But if you need accountability, if you know that you have some real strengths, but also some severe limitations, and you're like hinging that again, oh, well, I want to have 100% of something. I want to, I want to own it end to end. 100% of nothing is nothing. And an idea is, is pretty like worthless all by itself. It takes action and execution. And so there were two factors to that. One is that I needed the accountability. I needed somebody to give me permission to lean into this and kind of help me work through my own 
I don't know, limiting beliefs in some way. And also it's fun if you can create relationships around it. So I don't think that everyone listening to this needs to or should get a partner. And I think in fact, a partner can be, if you don't have the right partner, if you don't find the right person, there's so much bad stuff that can come with that. But I also don't think you should rule it out in the name of why well, I want to have 100%. And so I think we'll probably be able to explore, I'm sure over the next season or two, you'll be able to explore amazing scenarios of where a partnership was like, that was the key but also cases of what to watch for, what to avoid. I have two perfect examples of that. My dad had partners in his business and ended up going bankrupt for £3.6 million, $5 million he owed at the end. And those partners <laughs> vanished, did not go well. And then conversely, pop-up business school, I wouldn't be where I am today if we hadn't had those conversations with my business partner, Simon. We started it together there wasn't enough money in the early days for both of us, so he went and got a job. And three or so years later, I invited him back and gave him half the company. And we own it together. We wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without him uh, and doing it together. I think when you have a partnership, especially a partnership that's based on like a public persona or a public brand or outward facing, anything like that, the absolute and radical trust is critical. Leaving the egos at your door is critical because what breaks a partnership in that capacity is ego and lack of trust. And so, you know, that, I'm sure we'll have, you know, a whole episode around that, but that's been our biggest thing is we went, we went into this saying, leave your ego at the door and just put your cards on the table. You know, let's, let's, let's work through thing as they happen. And it's been, I would say three years nearly without incident, you know, like three years in, like, and, and your trust builds, like you get opportunities to test the trust. And if you come through that, you're stronger on the other side. So it's a pretty cool, it's a relationship. It's a marriage, you know, in many ways. Um, yeah, said it, sorry, Brad. Uh, but it's, uh, we're better for it. And choose if I would not exist. If it were, choose if I would just be somewhere out in space somewhere, if it weren't the two of us working on this. Well, if he hadn't have sent you that text message. Without that text message. So, you know, what's cool is um, if your audience is, if they've, you know, for whatever reason, they've mentioned their idea, how cool would it be is if people listen to this, held each other accountable to their ideas. Like we're on this journey together, right? Alan, you're on this journey. You're, you're kind of trailblazing this thing for us, helping us figure out what the what to watch for, what to avoid, what to embrace, how to dial in our message, our pitch, our idea, our scale and grow. We get a real opportunity as a community, as part of the Rebel Entrepreneur community, to hold each other accountable and help them work through their pain points, their sticking points. That's the power of doing this with your tribe. Yes, absolutely. So what I would love, request of the audience, is find someone you want to do this with. Find someone you want to do this with. It doesn't matter whether you want to do the business together or you both have businesses or they're just a friend you want to hold accountable. Get them to listen to this episode and episode two, which will be five ways to build a business with free. And then I want you to check in after you've listened and work out what you're actually going to do with this stuff. Because none of this is worth anything unless we take action. I have met so many people who talk a good game and never do anything. So that's the request for the audience is do something. Get a friend, get them to listen to this episode and episode two. Work out what you're going to do about it and then check in with us about what you're actually going to make progress on. The rebel entrepreneur, if you're going to be a rebel, you need to do something. There's this big prevailing theory out there called burn the boats, which means you quit the job, you throw everything in and you go for it no matter what. But that's not what you did. You started Choose FI as a side hustle and kept the job. Run me through that decision. Why did you do that? I think... I am, and I think you can be both of these and be risk averse, but the term, I am risk averse. And so here's my theory looking back on this. Some people have no resources, they have no bandwidth, and they burn the boats. I don't even think that's what you're describing, right? There's two kinds of scenarios as you described. The burn the boat strategy would be, I'm going to go out, we're going to make it work. If not, what's the worst that can happen? In my mind, the calculus there is like, how much runway do you have to really give yourself this chance? Because I'm a, I'm a parent. Right? I'm a husband. I have people that rely on me being able to provide for them. And I don't want to do anything to put them in a precarious financial situation. Right. So 
I did not have significant financial resources. I did not have years of expenses saved up. So burning the boat really would have looked very risky. I wasn't interested. My approach, which is like the, the chicken entrepreneurship, is the side hustle. What does that mean for me? I'm working in a W-2 job. I'm working as an employee for a company, a large corporation, making a good salary. And with my free time, I'm building a set of skills that I believe in the future I will be able to monetize. If I can't, the only thing that I will have wasted will have been my time and I can continue on the course, which I'm already on, which I know where that outcome is. I might not be excited about it. It's meh, as we just described, but it's not like it's, it's going to work out. That's kind of the mentality. And so that freed me from my own limiting belief of like, I'm not an entrepreneur because I wasn't. I'm a side hustler. I'm trying a side hustle. I'm trying something out. And I played out in my mind that whole, what's the worst that could happen? And it really didn't scare me. So I was like, well, then shoot, let's just do it. So what did that actually look like? Because you've got a job, you've got a family, you've got all those things. How did you build a podcast? What spare time? Right, right. So uh, my job took up 40 to 50 hours a week. That's Is my- that the real answer or did you do choose FI at work? I did not do. You can't. You actually cannot. There's no way. When you're working at work, you're standing. So I'm a pharmacist. Context. I'm a pharmacist. If you've ever been to a pharmacy, a CVS, a Walgreens, a Rite Aid, a retail pharmacy, look at those people. When do they get a break? They stand there for 10 to 12 hours a day. They try to hide behind you know, a cabinet to maybe shovel down some food or take a restroom break. You are not working on your side hustle at work. So no, it wasn't something where I could do that. Many people can, but I certainly couldn't. For me, it was in my spare time, in my evenings, on the weekends, that sort of thing. And it basically looked, because again, we're not talking about a business model. We're took, looking at starting a side hustle, which means cultivating a new skill set. So for me, it basically just looked like that first question I talked about earlier. Like, how do I start a podcast? How do I start a blog? These are very inexpensive things to do. A website can be started for free, as you've pointed out. It can be started, a lot of people will spend anywhere from $10 to $50 to start a website with maybe a recurring cost of $10 or $15 a year. These are not going to break the bank. And keep in mind, my, my context is I just spent $168,000 to get this degree for this job that I'm now looking at as meh, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's risky. That's, that's risk. Spending 50 bucks to try something is not risky. Spending a couple hundred dollars on a course to learn a new skill set is not like super risky in the, in the scheme of things because I'm anchored to the the gauntlet that I just went through. Um, and now I'm actually giving, I'm, it's interest-led learning. What do you want to learn? What are you interested in? What could you actually see there being a possibility doing? And my initial question was how to start a podcast, how to start a blog. And then you start realizing that was your first question. And it's not, the, the information there is not super helpful right away. You got to ask a better version of that question, break that down into the individual parts once you realize what you have to actually do. So for a podcast, how do I host a podcast? How do I have good sound? How do I interview another person? What type of microphones do I need? How do I record it? How do I make sure that I don't lose my recording? Which we did for the first episode of this show, but let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking through that, like those are the things that you don't, you actually don't Know the questions to ask until you give yourself permission to ask the first question. And then you realize that is a very deep rabbit hole. In the intervening three years, I have not limited myself to those one or two questions, but literally the tens of thousands of other questions. And you're now constantly looking for new questions. What's the 1% you know, thing that I can do this week to be a little better than I was before? And if you're 1% better you know, next week, that's not dramatically better than you were before. But over time, you're always thinking, all right, I've got this locked down. I know how to record a great podcast with one other person. What would it look like to be able to do video with the podcast? What would it look like to be able to do this remotely if my co-host is overseas or somewhere else around the world? Well, you know, and you could see over time as you start to now take something that originally was a question that was very scary and now becomes something that you have locked in and can just do, it frees up your bandwidth to tackle the next thing. How do I monetize my podcast? How do I monetize my business? Like a podcast, what me and you are doing right now in a vacuum does not generate any money, right? None. It's a labor of love. It's a recording that is being put on the universe that hopefully is benefiting other people. That by itself does not generate any revenue. So you're like, well, how do I go from a passion project, a side hustle to something that generates income? Here's a question. How do I make money online? How do businesses make money? And what's interesting about that question is that you find there's not actually an infinite number of answers. You think there's, like, it just looks when, you're, when, you, when you just see all the businesses, like there's a million different things out there. 
What do I not know? They're all kind of doing the same seven things. You know, and we can we can parse those. It's a whole other episode. But the point is, the initial question is not, nor should it be your only question. It's an invitation to the party to get started. Let's do this though from a place of low risk. So once I answered the question, once I invested in my case, I spent about $300 on the podcast. Now I needed to record it. What makes for a good episode? We went through a series of questions of crafting the character of the show, what we wanted the show to be about, what we wanted the outcome to be, what we wanted to convey to the people that were making the choice to listen to us. That was really fun. One of the things that I got to do because I had a partnership as we just talked about with Brad, we got to kind of mastermind this idea and bounce these ideas. What do we think? What do we see this being you know, a year from now or whatever? What sort of questions are we highlighting from the community? And one of the things he pushed on me, and this is this is very niche to the topic of podcasting, but it's like something you might have considered before. What's your voice when you're on the podcast and not your voice? Are you deep or are you high? You know, but it's how are you presenting your persona to your audience? Are you a teacher? Are you a scholar? Are you a salesperson or a hype person? Are you that empathetic listener? Are you a coach? All of these have kind of their unique aspects on, on how you're conveying your message to your to your audience, but it's very easy to not like to switch, mix and match and be all over the place and be really inconsistent and be kind of confusing to your audience. So kind of understanding, what do I want the cadence of my show to be? Where do I feel like I can authentically be the person that I want to be, that I will be consistently over time? You know, who is that person? And so these are the types of questions that when you actually get into it and you're now not looking at how do I do this, but now how do I do it well? It's very fun. And it's so daunting when you look at it and you're just saying, oh, I want to create a world-class podcast. No, you don't have to start there. You just got to get started. So you started the podcast. You did a mini experiment to see if you enjoyed it. You spent 300 bucks. Yeah. Something happened. Mm -hmm. And at some point you went, I'm leaving the meh job. Yeah, meh. How do you know that? Because one of the questions we always get asked is, how do I know when to either A, ditch the experiment because it's never going to work, or B, go full in? Okay. This, how did you know? So this is actually a fun question to answer because if you think about it, so my podcast is called Choose FI, it's Choose Financial Independence. We kind of frame what we're doing, how to help people earn more, spend less, and invest better, and in the process, reclaim decades of their life. That's the premise, the idea for this. But baked into that is, how do I help people spend less, right? How do you create a business around helping people spend less? <laughs> the entire point of a business is to sell a product. So that's interesting, which tells you like, you don't even have to solve that right away. If you can build a business around helping people spend less, you can build a business around basically anything. So for me on day one, it was just create a good product. Worry about monetization later. Right now, it's a passion project. It's having an impact in people's lives. Just get started. Figure out how to create a good podcast. And- there is a, uh, there, give me the reference here because we were talking about this offline. You helped me. 1,000 True Fans. By Kevin Kelly. Okay. Here's the idea. If you can make a difference in 1,000 individuals' life, you can feed your family for life. If you can create 1,000 ambassadors, 1,000 True Fans for whatever it is that you're doing, 1,000 people that will pay $100 for a product that you create, 1,000 people that will share your message with a friend, 1,000 people that will come to an event that you host, any, whatever, you know, then you're going to be able to create a sustainable business model for yourself for the future. And what that does is it takes something that's very scary. How do I have a successful business? How do I have impact at scale? And it scales it down to something that's achievable because you don't start at 1,000. What does it look like to improve one person's life, right? You're not going right to a thousand. You're just saying, have you improved anybody's life? And if not, how could you do that? What would it look like to focus on that target audience? So to tie it to what we did or and have, at this point, we have an audience of five people that are listening to us. One of them is my mom, right? I can't even get her to listen to all the episodes. So what we did is we, we took a perceived weakness, like we have a small audience. And you can do this in general. Look at all of your weaknesses, and figure out a way to turn that perceived weakness into an opportunity. I'm going to give you a practical example. The weakness is nobody knows about our show. We only have five people that listen to us. So one is, wow, five people found your show. How'd they do that? You don't even like, that's crazy. Five people found your show. And then to pivot that further, what is our unique advantage in having only five people that know about us? I would bend that and say, all right, let's take, let's look at the biggest podcast in the world. So like a Joe Rogan or a Tim Ferriss, something along those lines, a Dave Ramsey, they're some of the largest podcasts in the world. They have no idea the names of their listeners. How could they? 
when you're reaching millions of people, you have to speak to the masses, right? It's just, that's just, that's just the size and scale of what we have. We have a unique opportunity to know exactly what our audience is struggling with, be on a first name basis with all of them and create content that serves them directly where they are. So when you can't control the size of your audience's scope, what you can control is the impact and the nuance that you craft around your message and who are you serving? Because you're going to create five ambassadors, right? If you create content that serves those five people directly, they're going to tell somebody about it. They're going to share it with a friend. We use that to grow our audience easily to the first thousand, then the first 10,000. And you start seeing all these other benefits later, but it really at its core, it still goes back to that, that element of, are, if you're having an impact on five people's life, then at some point you're going to have an impact on hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Cause it's the same. It's just a spillover effect. But by focusing on those people that you're helping, it allows it to share with other people that they know are in those people's situation. Right. And so just to put it in perspective, we, um, basically from inception of the podcast have seen from a word of mouth referral system where people share it with somebody else, we have seen 7% or more month over month growth, which means that we are doubling. If you, there's a math rule here, I'll throw it in the rule of 72. It still applies to podcasting and to this sort of number basically says you take an interest rate again, write a math term, whatever interest rate you get. So 8%, 9% and take 72 and divide it by that. The outcome is how long it takes you to double. So at 7%, um, that means that every you know, eight or nine months, you're, you're doubling an, an, an audience, right? And so when it's, you know, going from 100 people to 200 people, that's not a huge thing. But now if that keeps happening over time, because again, you can't control what the mainstream media says about you. You can't control that viral video necessarily. Like you're not guaranteed to get all that. But if you can keep focusing on impacting people's lives and they will, if they will do that, they will share your content. At some point, those numbers look pretty amazing. And so we've passed the million downloads a month you know, going now and now 7%, yeah, 7% month over month growth looks pretty, pretty massive these days. And so we didn't worry about monetization on day zero. Again, it's a no risk game. I'm not hungry. I'm still in my job, but knowing the rules of how to make money online, what are your options? I looked at what was a fit for what we wanted to do. I could see that we were growing month over month. I was like, all right, we've got that part figured out. We're interacting with our audience. We're cultivating engagement tactics that we can talk about in the future. Now, from a monetization perspective, this is a a business or could be a business. Side hustle could be a business. What are my options and what do I want to do? So our options were advertising. So do you want to have sponsors on your show? It could be affiliate income. Are there products that I love and use and recommend? It could be writing a book. It could be doing a digital course. It could be doing a mastermind. It could be creating a product or service. A physical event. Physical event. These are kind of like, and there's maybe one or two more, but they all kind of fit in these seven categories. This is what you see. If you look at any business in the world, how it makes money. It's creating value and then selling that value to, to a consumer. And when you realize that, you're like, well, what fits where we are now? So I looked at the ad revenue, what the avenue revenue would bring in. And it, did, it wasn't life-changing amounts of money, right? Right out the gate, it wasn't. And so I, I put that to the side. Like you can always add ad revenue in later, but I just put that to the side for the moment and said, all right, let's look at the others. And then I worked through and I was like affiliate income. There are some companies that I have used for years that I love and am passionate about and actually if I think about it, have actually sold for free in terms of you've got to get on this bandwagon. This is amazing. This thing, like, like, let me give you a couple right now that are just, just kind of like, I actually found Brad because he was talking about travel rewards, how to travel the world for free. Travel hacking. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we actually, Amazon has an affiliate program. Anything. I love coffee. I love making a pour over cup of coffee. Any product that you use in your personal life that you talk about Amazon and others, but just for the sake of Amazon, because it's ubiquitous, have an affiliate program. So if there's something you love using, it's part of your set, it's in your backdrop, you just love it, appreciate it, you can refer someone to that item and you can make a commission for the referral. Now that's Amazon, it's ubiquitous, and the payouts for that have gone down to such extremely low levels that it's kind of hit or miss for some people. But that concept of there's something you use that you're passionate about that is authentic to what you talk about on your show can be extrapolated out to almost anything, almost any product either has an affiliate program where if you make a referral, that person buys it because of your referral, you get a small commission on the back end. And if they don't have it, it can be created. And we've seen both ends of that. And there's people that have actually, because they're in extremely niche industries, they've actually cultivated something around, I don't know, farming or something else. And there was an affiliate program, but these are old blue collar industries that are looking to get in a digital age and find people that'd be interested in their product. If you cultivate an audience around anything, 
you're a uniquely positioned and actually the smaller the niche, the better, because there's so few people that are talking about this. You can actually go to the company and see about creating an affiliate program. And I have talked to many people that have done this. I've seen this firsthand. It's entirely possible. It's affiliate marketing and you just work your way down from there. And the thing that's not really wrapped up in those seven different ways to make money online that I quickly highlighted, and we can, you'll find examples of all of these is the value of building your brand. That's not what's really encapsulated in, you know, digital project, IP, physical events, but actually the trust that you build, the network effect that you build, the impact that you're able to have is really almost priceless. So now as we kind of move from this startup mode to kind of a little bit more of an established business model that's starting to see the results and spill over, and this is actually what pop-up is seen as well, it's actually the power of the brand that you built that's based on implicit trust from years of hard work is opening up opportunities that aren't encapsulating, could never have been predicted in the four or five things I've just I've just laid out. So I think my final takeaway from people is pay attention to the business model, but don't let how am I going to monetize this necessarily stop you from getting started asking questions. Don't think that your first idea on how you're monetized is going to be your last idea on how you monetize and get started and view it kind of like a board game. It can be a lot of fun to put these puzzles together. Again, if you're doing this with a group of like-minded individuals. So how did you know when to quit? Great. That's the, how did you know? What was the point? Like you spoke about the growth. Mm -hmm. When did you know I'm no longer a pharmacist? I'm an entrepreneur. So I remember the first day that Chooseify made 30 cents. I made 30 cents. We had promoted a book and we'd had a link in the show notes. Link went to an Amazon. Someone bought the book and maybe that was interesting about Amazon. It was at the time. I don't know if they still do it, but you, I think you get you you get a commission off whatever they purchase based on your referral link, but also if they purchase anything else. Anything the, else in the basket. In the basket. In this case, that didn't happen. I got 30 cents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that happened while I slept at night, right? Think about that. Like every other dollar I've ever made in, in my life. Is it Five years. Time. Time for money. Money. I made this while I slept. And that was really eye-opening for me. And, and it, again, 30 cents. I don't have the 30 cents framed on my wall, anything like that. But I was like, okay, I see, like if I can make 30 cents, there's probably, it's 60 cents, it's in my future, right? And uh, since that was more than the raise I'd gotten the prior year, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I could kind of see the pattern there. So here's what I did. First, I focused on getting rid of all my debt. I'm working on paying off my debt, maintain the course. When you get rid of consumer debt, you are de-risking your life and you're making it easier to take a risk and turn it into an opportunity. For example, if I, if when I'm paying down my debt, I need to cover eighty, ninety thousand dollars of expenses to be able to cover my debt, pay off my debt, pay my mortgage. Maybe I have an expensive mortgage. I have car payments. I have couch payments. All of these keep you tied to your current income. You can't afford to step away. You need to make it to the next paycheck. If I got rid of the debt, if you get rid of all the consumer debt and your life only costs maybe thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, as opposed to whatever that 18, bloated, 19. yeah. You no longer need to keep that income that you had before, right? You're you're in bootstrap mode. Right now, you're building something awesome, but if you're just trying to make it to the next paycheck, you can't afford for one paycheck to not be there. So you're stuck there. So for me, I got my I got rid of all my debt. I uh, had no debt at all, got rid of the student loan debt. My life costs somewhere between thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. I'm making good income, and now I'm trying to figure out how can I replace it. But I'm not trying to necessarily replace my income at this point that's great if it happened, but like, I'm just looking at what it costs to fund my life. Like my life doesn't cost hundred K. What, what would it look like when the podcast starts to get past my expenses? So we worked on, we built out an affiliate model based on trusted services that we use. And we kind of built our community around these. Like here, we're not going to have tons of ads on the show. Here are five or six affiliates that we love. And if you will support us with these, like help us, you know, if you'll use our affiliate links, that'll be win-win for us. This show will be free. show will be free. And so- People bought in and they said, we'll absolutely support you. We love what you're doing. We want you to keep making content. And we saw the spike. And so when that happened, there was a very distinct point in time. I remember where the revenue that we were bringing in passed what I needed to pay my core expenses, right? And this is not all the discretionary money. It's not replacing my income, but it passed my core expenses. Also keep in mind that I paid off my student loan debt and I actually had been able to save up about another year to two of core expenses. I had that. Because I've been doing this as a side hustle, I'm at the point where I've got two years of runway and no debt, inexpensive lifestyle, and a business, a side hustle- Is actually working. Is working and it is covering my expenses. So now I get to play and I get to do it from a very fun place. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, just think about that. Think about the numbers that I just gave you. Nothing. 
Like my worst case scenario is someone else's every day. I just go back. Go back to the job. I go back to the job. So once I could flesh that out in my mind and I was like, man, if I could build this up to a a revenue stream that's paying my expenses while I'm doing this part-time nights and weekends, what if I could give 100% to this for a period of time? What if I could give myself that you know, two-year window to see what happens? And even then, I'm a coward. Even then, I'm a coward. And here's what happened. As the podcast continued to grow, three things all landed at once. We had a, uh, a conference that we wanted to go to. And this is the FinCon conference. It's a conference in the personal finance space. We had a documentary that wanted to come film with us, Playing With Fire. It's been in a screening tour around the country now. This is multiple years later, but this is when they wanted to initially film it. They wanted to come uh, film with us. And then number three, and really most importantly, I wanted to go visit my wife's family in Zimbabwe. Now, if you work in corporate America, you know that you typically get somewhere between 15 to 20 days of vacation a year. I mean, that's really, it's supposed to be split between vacation and sick days. That's all you get. And you can't take them all at once. And so I, I looked at the manual and I went to my employer and I said, I see in the company policies that you can actually give me a discretionary family, unpaid leave of absence. Would it be possible for me to do this? The pharmacy's working great. Everything's in order. I've got staff that can come in here. Could you do this? And my employer looked at my proposal and said to me, I don't think it's in the company's best interest for me to let you do that. But in the context of what I just laid out for you, I really thought I had made a reasonable proposal, by the way. I got to say, I really did. There was no scenario which I visualized him saying no to this. But when he did, I said to him, I don't think it's in my best interest to stay. At that point, it's because I didn't need it anymore. Like, like you know, I can, I can always go back. I can always go across the street. What may have been risky, and another scenario would have been risky for me, this is an opportunity. And when you challenge me on it, I had my ducks in the row. I wasn't walking away yet. I would have done them both for longer. But in the context of this, I'm walking away. And keep in mind, my job is meh. When you actually leave your job, you get a unique opportunity to find another job with a better scenario. This is probably the reset that I needed, right? I mean, maybe what you don't want is a new job or a new business. You just don't want your current job. And if that's the kick you need, take a sabbatical, take action, work on your business, you can always go back. In order to make that increase your probability of success or increase the probability that your failure will lead to future success though, you really need to think about de-risking your life. And what does that look like? And that's why I think the financial component of that is really important to weave in. And I'm excited about how that's really reflected in your own journey. And I would totally concur with that. The kick I needed was getting fired from my last job. And it was being fired that made me go and be an entrepreneur. High five. <laughs> So look, this has flown by. We probably need to bring it to a close for the first episode, but we are going to talk a lot more about entrepreneurship and how to build businesses. One of the things I did want to mention to the audience is we're actually planning at some stage to monetize the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. What was that decision? And we made it together, but yeah, what were your yeah, thoughts on that? Put it on me. First of all, this is for audience, we're encouraging you to build a business and we want you to also view Rebel Entrepreneur as a business. But here's what we want to do with it. Both of us have foundations that we have started, both to focus on helping entrepreneurs around the world build businesses without going into debt and teach people financial literacy. Two things that, as we've just kind of talked about now and in other places, the education system really should have done, but didn't. We think we have an opportunity to fix this and have massive impact. So Rebel Entrepreneurs can be monetized in many different ways. Primarily, at least we think out the gate through advertising revenue from sponsors that buy into our vision for what we want to see happen. 100% of the profits from the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast will go to the Choose FI International Foundation and pop-up business school around the world for the sole cause of advocating for starting your business without going into debt and learning financial literacy. These are two noble causes. And we hope that when you listen to our advertisers, appreciate the amount of time that we spend thinking about who's going to be able to advertise on this show and what the revenue generated from that will come to. We think this is absolutely a worthy cause. And that's exactly why we're doing it. So half of that profit will go to the Choose FI Foundation and half will go to running pop-up business schools around the world to help people start up. The whole purpose of doing this is to help people. And that's what inspired me about your podcast. That's what inspired me to be part of this is we're working to help people. And you've seen that. I've seen the people that come through your pop-up. I've seen like the joy on their face when they realize that someone cares and that they can do this and they are able to go from this vague idea and iterate that and, and get their first sale and do it. Like we as a tribe, as a community can do this together. We can support each other. We can lift each other up. We can help each other work through those sticking points and we get to design our future. Thank you so much for being on the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. It's going to be a journey. 
episode two is going to be five ways to build a business for free. And actually, the structure of the podcast going forwards is going to be an episode where we give you a set of skills, like five ways to build a business for free, how to build a business out of your passion, negotiation. There's going to be a set of skills. And between each of those episodes, there will be a startup story from someone who's actually lived and breathed those things. So we've got five ways to build a business for free. And then we're speaking to a company who has started and borrowed a space to build their business. So what we want you to really get is the skills, the proof that it works, and then to inspire you to take action. All right, there's a lot coming at you today. I hope you guys are super excited about this. If you do one thing, first of all, share this episode with someone that you know. Bring your accountability partner with you, right? You know somebody, you've been wanting to do this, you've been talking about your ideas, but you've never taken action on them. Commit to accountability by sharing this episode with a friend. And then both of you go to chooseify.com slash rebel and get started on your journey today. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. If you want to binge listen the season or pour back through the archives, the place to go is choosefi.com slash rebel and make sure you subscribe on your podcast player of choice.